The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Sermon text will be Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 25. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to return the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, 
Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Well, if you remember, last February we started the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I made the judgment call to start in Luke chapter 3. Because if we would have started in chapter 1, we would have done the birth of Jesus on Easter. And I thought we could do better than that and save it for the end of the year. So that's what we're doing. We're going to do... We're going to spend eight weeks on Luke chapters 1 and 2 to finish this year. And, um, and, then, and then next year, we'll resume in the middle of Luke chapter 9, where we left off. But when we began the series, we noted Luke's approach that he mentions in the prologue that was just read, that Luke is writing this gospel as a narrative History, an orderly narrative history in order to persuade his readers to have certainty of the things that they have been taught about the life and teachings of Jesus. So the whole narrative is an, is an argument, if you will, to believe in Jesus. Now my aim this morning in focusing on this account of uh, Zachariah and Elizabeth is that God would fill you with hope, anchored in his faithfulness to his eternal promises to us in Christ. So hope is what I'm praying that God would work, give as a gift, spiritual gift to you. Hope. And may this hope sustain you through life's challenges and guard you against substitute salvations and substitute saviors. And may this hope empower you to live righteously like Zechariah and Elizabeth. And may this hope preserve your faith regardless of the news or how dark it gets. Because God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he will be glorified in this earth. And his people will be satisfied in him. So let me pray God would give us hope as we walk into this beginning of the gospel of Luke in this account. Father in heaven, now I pray that you would do it. You would do it. Grant us hope as we read Luke's account, written to persuade us to have certainty about Christ, confidence, assurance about Christ, who he is and what he's done and, and all that you promised to be for us in him. Strengthen our, our hope, strengthen our faith, and I pray that, that uh, thereby you would change us into your image to be the people that you're calling us to be, more and more like Christ in love for you and love for one another. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My outline is four points. Uh, they're not clever or slick. Now, number one is context. Number two, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Number three, Zechariah and the angel. And then number four, very briefly, and kind of in conclusion, is the conception of John. So there we go. Number one, context. First, the spiritual context. Leading up to the events recorded in, in Luke chapter one, God last spoke through the prophet Malachi the very last words in the Old Testament, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6, read like this. 
Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So God's people who believed God's word were waiting. They were waiting for the Lord to come, but before the Lord would come, come one like Elijah, they were waiting for 400 years, waiting. And when you're waiting on God, the temptations arise to think things like, well, God has forgotten his promises, and maybe God has forgotten me, and, and in that kind of hopelessness, it's just fertile ground for sin and discouragement and despair. And I'm just thinking, the people of Israel waiting and waiting and waiting are in this yearning, I don't want to say desperate, maybe desperate, We'll get to my second point on the context, and it'll feel desperate. I'll get to that right now. The second thing about context is it's politically dark. You know, Luke, the meticulous historian that he is, he grounds this account in the historical time that it took place by citing the king. Verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, now, this Herod, there's a few Herods. This Herod is called Herod the Great, so that he's not confused with the other Herods who share his name. He became king in 37 B.C. and reigned till 4 B.C., 33 years. He had been appointed by Caesar to maintain control uh, and suppress any attempted rebellion among the predominantly Jewish territories around Israel. And he was a shrewd politician by all worldly measures. He climbed the political ladder to the throne. He lowered taxes in at least two instances to gain favor with the people, one time by 25%. Over the course of his years, he had 10 wives, most of which he married for political gain. Herod initiated an extensive multi-year construction campaign. It is quite a list. He built a grand palace for himself and military fortresses such as, maybe you've heard of Masada. He built several buildings used for purposes which were contrary to Jewish law, such as amphitheaters and race courses and temples for pagan worship. But his greatest building project was Herod rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem. One of the temples, or of the temple's architectural splendor, it's, it's commented on in, uh, at the time in the Babylonian Talmud. And here's the observation about Herod's temple in Jerusalem. He who has not seen the temple of Herod has never seen a beautiful building. It's awesome. 
remember, sidebar, it's the temple that Jesus says, remember, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. And people misunderstood him. He was talking about himself. Well, Herod was an evil tyrant as well. He demanded, demanded strict loyalty from all, cruelly punishing those who he deemed disloyal. And he's fearful. He's paranoid. Fearing rebellion, he restricted group gatherings. He executed several of the wealthiest people in the land, taking their wealth and their property for himself. He executed one of his wives, Miriam, and her mother, fearing their influence to undermine his reign, and he imprisoned and executed one of his own sons for trying to poison him in order to climb into the throne himself. And most memorably, it's this Herod, Herod the Great, who was troubled when he heard about the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem, this king of the Jews. So he sent eastern wise men to go find him and report back they were warned in a dream not to report back to Herod, and so they didn't. Realizing his barbaric, realizing his plan failed, he schemed up this barbaric plan to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under, just to make sure he got it covered. That's Herod. Point number two, Zechariah and Elizabeth. For as wicked as Herod is, Zechariah and Elizabeth are righteous. They are good people. Living in the context of this waiting under Herod. Zechariah was a priest, and Elizabeth was a... from a priestly family, being one of the descendants of Aaron, the first priest in Israel. And I just kind of put on my tongue, that's not literally true, put in my mind to kind of savor their names. Zachariah's name means the Lord has remembered. Isn't that a sweet name? You're waiting on the Lord, you're waiting on the Lord. The Lord is remembered. Elizabeth's name carries the, the sense that my God is an oath. Or in other words, my, my God keeps his covenant. My God keeps his promises. But just another wonderful name to think about who God is when you're waiting, waiting, waiting. Luke tells us two more things about them. They were barren, and they were righteous. They had no children. Verse 7, Elizabeth was barren. And now they were both old, and they were beyond childbearing years. And now you, you need to know this. There's a hint of it down in verse 25, but let me explain it. Where down in verse 25, 
Elizabeth speaks of the reproach that she's been under. In ancient Hebrew cultures, couples facing infertility were often shamed. They were viewed with contempt. They must have sinned terribly somehow in order for God to, in his judgment, make them childless. Common understanding. But here's the deal. I love this. The second thing Luke wants us to know right after that, right in the midst of that, they were righteous. They were righteous. Verse 6. Contrary to the community's reproach, they were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. I mean, they, they sought to obey the scriptures, and when, when they sinned, they repented, and they sought the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing. They're righteous before God. So it's crystal clear that their barrenness is not owing to God's punishment. They're righteous before God. I thought about this. If we incorporate Jesus' answer in John 9, when he's asked the question about a man born blind, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? I thought if we take that question, put it in this context, the question might be, well, so, Jesus, who sinned, Zechariah or Elizabeth, that they haven't been able to have any children. And you know, pulling in Jesus' answer from John 9, 3, I believe Jesus would say loud and clear, and this text says loud and clear, neither. They have been childless in order that the glory of God might be revealed. Number three, Zechariah and the angel. Verse 8 describes Zechariah's duty now as a high priest. Verse 8, now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. So now, as was according to the custom of the priesthood, let me explain the custom of the priesthood. There there were 24 divisions of priests in Israel, about 300 priests in each one, and each division was was, uh, appointed, responsible, to serve in the temple one week at a time for two weeks every year. And the priests would cast lots among them, among themselves, to, to determine who would be the one to go in to the, to the holy place, to, 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 to the altar of incense? Uh, who would be the one to do this? And I'll explain a little bit more about that. And the lot fell to Zechariah in the sovereignty of God. So he's the one that's going to go in. And so now, what, is, what does this mean, going into the altar of incense, to burn this incense? Let me explain it. So, uh, and just a quick overview of the temple. There's the, 
There's the outer court of the Gentiles. There's the inner court where the people of Israel could go. And then further in, there's the, the holy place where the altar of incense is, where the, the priest is going to go. Priests are going to go there every day. And then beyond that, there's the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is, where um, only the high priest could go once a year, and they tied a rope to his foot in case he fell over. Inside, they could pull him out because nobody else was allowed to go in there. God is in there. So it's right outside of the Holy of Holies. Zechariah enters now the holy place and he gathers up the burning coals from the altar of the burnt offering and he puts them in a golden bowl and he carries this golden bowl. It's hot. I don't know how he carries it. He carries it somehow. Into the holy place and he pours the hot coals out on a a particular place on the altar and then puts incense on the burning coals and the smoke of the incense rises, symbolizing the prayers of God's people going up to God for God to hear them. All the while, the people in the outer court and the inner court are praying. And smoke rose, filling the temple, symbolizing the prayers are going up to God. That's the altar of incense. So now while Zechariah is in there doing his priestly duty, (laughs) verse 11, there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah is terrified, gripped with fear. And, you know, over and over again we see this. The angels appear. People are terrified. What does the angel say? Don't, Don't be afraid. Verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Your prayer has been heard. And I just got to thinking about this. Your prayer has been heard. Is it, is it, Zechariah's prayer, along with Elizabeth's prayer, to have a child. They probably pray that over and over and over again. And as they enter their old age, they stop praying that prayer. But still the Lord heard. Or, I, can't, I can't separate. I can't not think of this waiting for the Messiah to come, given the answer to the prayer that the, that the angel's going to announce. Maybe their prayer is, Lord, send Elijah in order that Messiah would come. Send the Christ. Send the Christ to inaugurate the kingdom and bring salvation and justice. We're living under Herod. And you've been silent for so long. I really enjoy this, and I'm, I'm going to grope for words to hope. That, I'm hoping that you'll enjoy this too. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
God hears our prayers, all of them. Even those you prayed a long time ago, he hears them. Revelation 8.4 describes the prayers of the saints being gathered up in golden bowls, kind of like this. They're not just wasted. They don't just disappear. We pray, and they're collected in these golden bowls, and the, the requests rise up to God like incense, and he answers according to his fatherly wisdom and sovereignty and his love in his time. What I love about these, I'm intertwining prayer for a child with the answer that you're gonna, your prayers have been answered. You're going to have a forerunner of the Messiah. It's interesting to me that their deepest longings, plural, for the Christ to come and to have a son are met, interwoven in the coming of the Christ. In other words, here's, here's the part I want you to feel and see. That our deepest longings, our deepest prayers, Lord, we'd love to have a child. Would you? I would like to get married. Lord, please. I want healing. Our deepest longings are finally and fully answered in this prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. In other words, the satisfaction of their yearning, their longing to have a son is found in the coming of the Christ, the Messiah. You'll have a son and he will be a forerunner of Christ, the Messiah. I just, I just, it just lands on me with the truth of all our deepest desires will ultimately be satisfied in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is the all-satisfying one. The child, verse 13. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. John means God has been gracious, or God has shown favor. And this child will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, and he will live a life of consecration to God, dedicated to his mission, abstaining from wine and strong drink. Gabriel describes the mission. Crystal clear. I mean, I hope you heard it when I read Malachi in, right after we read our text. Crystal clear. The angel says, Gabriel says, here's what the mission is. It's the echo of the last two verses of the Old Testament in Malachi. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's it. This baby is the one like Elijah who was promised to come. He will be great. He will bring joy to his father and his mother and many people because he will be God's instrument to prepare the way for the Lord, the Christ, the Messiah. Now, upon hearing this, you know, imagine you're going to have a son and uh, Zacharias He's thinking, well, what would you say? <laughs> You're beyond childbearing years, and, and an angel appears. He comes to you and says, oh, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the, the promised one to go before the Lord. Zechariah says, 18, verse 18, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. You know, we're old. The angel replied, and I'm thinking, this is, this is stern. This is, do you know who I am? <laughs> do you know who I am? I am Gabriel. Verse 19. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to you from God to bring you this news. <laughs> so it's like, who do you think you are? <laughs> Here's who I am. I've come from God to tell you this. I'm Gabriel, the one who spoke to Daniel, exiled in Babylon, Daniel 8, 16. And because Zechariah did not believe the word of the Lord, the angel says in verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to talk. Without the angel departed and Zechariah having received this divine word <laughs> turned and walked out of the holy place out to the place that people were praying and they couldn't, they didn't understand why did it take him so long in there? And, you know, since he can't speak, he, he communicates with signs to, to tell them something happened in there and they, they get the message that he had seen a vision from God. And then point number four, this really is the, some, the concluding comment from Luke of how this unit ends. John went home, still unable to speak, and soon afterward, verse 24 says, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. There it is. It happened. Just as the angel said. The forerunner is, is uh, conceived. 
John the Baptist, and he will be born as the precursor to the coming of Christ. So, I mean, there might be a lot of impacts the Lord has for you in this. I'm, I'm so aware of that every Sunday. You know, sometimes we'll pray downstairs, Lord, do 10,000 things among, among the people in the hearing of your word. I mean, so I trust that God's word is never sent out in vain. He's always working. He's shepherding his people. He's got good, your good and his glory in mind. And, and I'm, I'm going to orbit back to this huge main desire in my heart for you. May God fill you with hope. A hope that sustains you through all life's challenges. I hope that guards you from substitute salvations and substitute saviors. I hope that empowers you to live godly lives like Zechariah and Elizabeth as they were waiting. As we wait the second coming of Jesus, may we be a people zealous to do good. Live Christ-like lives. And may God fill you with a hope that preserves your faith no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bad the news is, no, bad, no, matter, no matter your situation. God is sovereign. And he will be glorified in Christ. And you belong to Christ. And God will satisfy you satisfy you fully once and for all in Christ Jesus. So may get into the benediction. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might overflow with hope no matter whatever whatever the circumstances by the power of the Holy Spirit and the promises of God. Father in heaven, thanks so much for your word to us. What a, what a great account of the birth of John, setting up the birth of Jesus. And thank you for this window into salvation history. This, this beginning here in Luke, linking it with all the Old Testament uh, doings of you, of you with your people and the promise of salvation and, and uh, coming in here, linking it to the coming of Christ and all the future grace that you have for us in Christ. Root us in your word and, and fill us with hope and be our joy and satisfaction, I pray, in and through Christ Jesus in whose name I pray right now. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 720- 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, 
spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.